Well, good morning, everybody. As always, good to be with you. And we are um, unbelievably almost halfway through the month of July, which is scary. And would you all talk amongst yourselves for just one minute while I grab my glasses so I can actually see? One second. I hope they're there. Oh, dear. Crisis averted. Glasses were in my pocket. All right. You are there. Good to see you. Okay. Um, Friends, if you were here last week, we started to look at Psalm 23 and focused on who it is that's caring for us and how our Good Shepherd cares for us. And we looked at Mark 6 and dissected a bit of how Jesus served the 5,000, giving them rest and food and, and himself teaching. And today we're going to go a little bit deeper into Psalm 23, particularly verse by verse, to get a detailed picture of our shepherd's care. So let's pray, and then we will dig in to God's Word. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for this morning. And um, just as John prayed, Lord, this is a, a, a blessing, a privilege to be able to gather together, to read your Word to um, worship together in freedom, and Lord, to um, throughout the week be able to rest on the resource of all that you provide, your spirit in us and among us and each other, um, Lord God. So would you in this moment, would you guide our hearts, give us rest for our souls, restore and renew, and um, through this reading of your word, Lord, would um, our hearts be ready to receive as our ears hear um, all that you would have for us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you can open up in your Bibles to um, Psalm 23. This is a Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. All right, I want to start us off today with, with a story. Um, and some of you maybe will be able to relate because oftentimes our experiences lead us to doubt some very basic truths in Scripture. So this is a number of years ago. Um, in Arizona, a special needs young lady by the name of Shy. She was a freshman in high school, and she started the school year, would, was excited to go, but every day she was bullied and teased because of Shy's special needs. She looked a little bit different than the other kids. Her, her speech development wasn't as advanced as maybe as, as other 15, 16-year-olds, and so it was like being thrown into the shark tank every day. And day after day, to be teased, made fun of, ridiculed, picked on, and even kind of physically shoved in the hallways. 
And I wonder if, if Shai was a Christian, if she was, whether she really believed that Jesus loved her, that, that Jesus cared for her. So one day, Shai came home from school, and she ran to a room, and she was crying as she came in the front door and ran by her mom, went to a room, closed the door, and just cried and cried, sobbing. And her mom was worried, what's going on? Was finally able to get it out of Shai, the story of what's been happening at school and the misery that Shai was going through. Now, because of Shai's special needs, life had been hard for the family, for mom and dad. And I wonder if Shai's mom and dad had moments of, where's God? Does he love us? Does he care for us? Does he care for Shai and the hurt that she experiences every day? The 20th century theologian, a guy by the name of Karl Barth, he wrote this uh, massive six million word, four volume uh, series of books called Church Dogmatics. And, and in an interview one time, somebody asked him, can you summarize what the Church Dogmatics is all about? And his response wasn't maybe as erudite as the interviewer had hoped. Bart said, yeah, this is it. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Now, we learn that as little kids. But we are often as we grow a little bit older, having had experiences maybe in high school like shy, but oftentimes just as you grow into your 20s and 30s and experiencing the difficulties of life, you become tired and cynical, and an experience does that. And so perhaps you need to hear this today, what is most true, that God delights in you, that he rejoices over you with singing, that Jesus died for you, that he lives and reigns for you now and intercedes actually at this moment and he's continually shepherding you, those who belong to Christ through faith. And we say, well, God isn't merely out there and thrown in the heavens, which is true, but he's actually here in our midst and even more so, God dwells in our hearts by faith. These are basic biblical truths. He's transcendent to be sure creating the heavens and the universe and all things, sustaining all things. And he's also imminent. He's a personal God who loves us dearly. And the texts that support these claims that I'm making, they are so numerous that we, we could barely even spend the rest of the summer getting to half of them. So we're going to stick with Psalm 23. What does the word say? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Now, I just want to point out, first of all, we can start by noting that the, there's a connection between the Lord is and the I shall. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. There's a pledged relationship here. Because of who our good shepherd is, Jesus, this, therefore, is true. I shall not be in want. And last week we talked about how God lays us down in green pastures in this connection to Mark 6 and how the shepherd feeds us and gives us peace and security and rest. And furthermore, he restores my soul. It's always about more than just feeding and meeting basic needs. It's always about restoration, 
fullness, completeness, God providing spiritual renewal. And so then we remember we don't come to God all cleaned up. Yep, I'm good now, and now I can lie down in green pastures, and now I won't want, and you lead me because I'm such a good person. No, I come to you, God, because I need restoration. You restore my soul. You provide spiritual renewal. I come to you to get cleaned up, renewed, restore. God feeds, provides. He provides renewal of our spirit, making us fit for heaven, loving us into becoming who we were made to be in all its fits and starts. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones, a British pastor, preacher, in, in one of uh, the biographies written by him by Ian Murray, there's a story shared of the good doctor visiting a Welsh church out in the rural countryside and he comes in, and uh, it's a vibrant, growing, healthy church. But there's this one guy who kind of doesn't even really say hello to, to Dr. Jones, but just kind of nods at him and has a kind of a grumpy look on his face. And um, the, the preaching commenced, and, and Dr. Jones would look out into the congregation, and there was that grumpy old man with his arms crossed sitting in the back with a disappointed look on his face. And the good doctor thought that was a little bit odd. But he finished preaching and then was getting ready to go. And he asked one of the elders about this guy who really, in, in bidding him farewell, just had some harsh words about in, in critiquing his sermon. And that was it. And Dr. Jones, what, what was going on with that, that man? And the elder said to him, oh, yes, he's difficult. But you should have met him two years ago before he was saved. He was impossible. So there's this continual growth. And I don't care if you've been a Christian for two years or, or 50 years. It's a continual process of restoration. Sometimes we think, well, I've arrived. I've got it all figured out. No, not at all. And the older we get, in some ways, the Bible becomes much smaller. You start to understand it. Yet at the same time, in other ways, it gets that much bigger. It's like, oh my goodness, I can't measure up. I need a Savior. I need continual restoration, even as I'm growing in grace, even as I'm starting to resemble Jesus more and more. It's still a continual process of restoration that we need. So this grumpy old man like us was being restored bit by bit, slowly sometimes, being restored. And, and this is helpful for us to think about because I think it, it provides us with some humility. I need restoration? Yep, I do. So if you think right now, man, Tucker is not a great preacher. As a matter of fact, I don't really like this dude. Um, you know, it's much, much worse than you think. I'm not a great guy, really. That, I mean, I need a savior, and I think all of us can say that, right? Okay, so... This restoration, coming to Lord to be renewed, to be provided for, cared for, it's where we say, okay, I want to grow in grace. I want to grow in, 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 in favor and in, in, in joy and peace. And that's a part of the journey as the Lord is leading me along these paths of righteousness. And so we are like, okay, I'm going to pursue righteousness. I want to do right by God. I want to pursue righteousness for my own good, my own restoration. And as I experience the mercy and grace of God, then I also say, well, I want to stay on this path 
because Jesus' name is at stake. His good name is at stake. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, for his glory, not just my joy. And so we would say a great prayer for us, for you this week, would, Lord, would you be glorified in me today, in my interactions with other people, with my family, with my kids, with my parents, with my friends? And this is important because there's no throwaway moments as we're on this path of righteousness for our good, our restoration, but also for Christ's glory. There's no throwaway moments. Our words matter. Every moment is kind of fraught with weight. Like, so I think being a Christian is what John Piper would say is it's a serious joy. It's not this happy, clappy, it's like, hey, whatever. It's no, it's serious. It's joyful, but it's serious, weighty. I've got to watch my words. I've got to watch what my little eyes see. I've got to guard myself. The Apostle Paul, there shall not even be a hint of sexual immorality among you. And sometimes I think maybe we think, oh, I can diet a little bit in sin. We can't. We have to be a serious people. It's for God's glory. It's a weighty thing to be a Christ follower. Um, I am a creature of the 80s and 90s. There was this band back in the 90s. I don't even know if they still exist. DC Talk. Somebody, DC Talk, maybe? Okay. So they had a song, What If I Stumble? What if I stumble? What if I fall? What if I lose my step and I make fools of us all? Will his love continue when my walk becomes a crawl? When we stumble, we say, we come back, I do need restoration. I do need restoration, renewal, forgiveness, mercy, grace. And yet it's a serious thing when I stumble. I could make fools of my brothers and sisters in Christ, those around me. I could, I could defame in the name of Jesus. I don't want to do that. Right? So, yes, we experience grace and mercy, but we have to be serious about holiness, righteousness, walking in obedience to our Lord. All right, let's, let's go down to verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will feel, fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. Here we get to it. There's still rough patches, like shy experience. And, and my guess is that there are some of you here today, maybe you're in the middle of a rough patch. The circumstances, the sin of others against you, it feels like, man, I am going through this valley. I don't know when I'm going to get out of this thing. What do I do? We remember this. God is leading, leading us even in the midst of this valley. If you find yourself there, it's God who led you, led you there. So your job is to stay close to the Savior on the path of righteousness. Because we know that this, this path is narrow. The way is narrow on each side. It's a precipitous fall. And if we fall off, I mean, there's a very good chance that, yeah, we could die. My, my son Tamarick and I, this is a couple years ago, we went to Colorado and we hiked what's called the Devil's Causeway. And it's, it's literally, and I'm not, I don't think I'm exaggerating to affirm this, like this wide, two and a half, three feet at a couple of points, and each side a thousand feet, you, like you lose your step, you die, right? Anyways, that's how serious this is when we're in the midst of this scary moment. It's like, I, got, I can't lose my step. I'm freaked out. I'm scared. What am I going to do? If I slip, I'm going to die. It's a dangerous thing to follow in the paths of the Lord. But note how there's a change from the 
third person in our text, the Lord, he, his, to second person pronouns, you. You are with me. When it's dangerous, well, Jesus is still leading us, but not so much ahead of us, but, but right next to us. Right next to us as we go through this what's called a salmavet in Hebrew. And that, that, that could, it's really just one word, salmavet, for the valley of the shadow of death. It could mean darkness or crisis or literally death. In a sin-stained world, we're in a scary spot. And it feels like if I slip off either side, I'm going to die. So when I was working at the University of Pennsylvania, I'd take the Market Frankfurt line from our house into, into West Philadelphia. And it was always kind of like this. After 10 p.m., that's when the freaks come out, right? It's scary. Now, my kids are both going into the the city um, for school and for work every day. And it's not the post-10 p.m. thing. It's like 24-7 endeavor. Like, it's a scary place. So my daughter has been um, somebody, a homeless dude, like, was threatened to throw a punch at her. Um, has been accosted by strange dudes a couple times. My son, in a, in a packed train, his life was threatened, right, in a scary place. And here's the thing about the train, the Market Frankfurt line. You're in your car, and if it's, it's crowded, you can't go anywhere. You're like, you're stuck. I, I, I can't, like, jump off the train. I can't go to another car. So you just sit in it, and the only relief comes is if you see one of those septic cops come. And it's like, okay, it's going to be okay. He's got a gun. It's going to be all right. Now, this world is a scary place. And in a broken world, we will experience the impact of sin. Horror, violence, crime, sins against us. But here's the thing, and this is what the text's point is. We have an escort. Your escort is with you, and he is armed. And nothing on this planet, in this cosmos, can overcome him. Therefore, nothing this world brings against you, you who belong to Christ through faith, nothing can overcome you, not even death. We may be scared. It's called the valley of the shadow of death for a reason because it's scary. But there are worse things than death. And that's the absence of the one who goes with you through the hardship. And we remember where the text leads. You're headed somewhere. The valley isn't the end. Verse 5, the danger turns to blessing. In spite of the valley, the darkness, the death, you, God, my shepherd, prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup, it overflows. Now, a bit of context helps here. In the ancient world, um, in the Roman world, the gods were believed to be capricious, prone to sudden changes of mood and behavior. Some days they favored you, some days they didn't. And so the point of ancient pagan worship was to do whatever you can do to make those ancient gods, small g gods, happy, right? So you offer a sacrifice, animal or a human, you, you say some incantation, you supply the God with good, uh, gifts and food. And, and, and Judaism and then Christianity turned that upside down. In Judaism and Christianity, we find that God is unchanging. You are the same, oh God, yesterday, today, and forever. God isn't controlled or manipulated by human actions. God needs nothing from his creation. Rather, 
the Bible teaches us that humans are the ones who are fickle. Our hearts are corrupt. That if God doesn't lead our steps, we'll tragically go astray. That we depend on God for everything. And he supplies all we need. And so God's holiness, his power, his majesty are not contingent on what we do to appease him. Rather, his holiness, power, and majesty flow down to us in the person of Jesus Christ, but in his death and in his resurrection. So, verse 5, we say, God treats us like an honored guest. His mercy flows down. And what do we do? We sit and we eat. You prepare a table before me, for me. Have any of y'all ever been to dinner at uh, a Ritz-Carlton? Me neither. Um, but friends have. Some friends have. My, my twin brother, who's a pastor, and he's not a health, wealth, prosperity guy, but for his anniversary down in Cancun, he and his wife went to a Ritz-Carlton for dinner. And, and he says they were treated like royalty, um, the pastry chef gave him a little tray of pedophores. I'm not entirely sure I know what pedophores are, but gave him pedophores to take home with them. And um, the, my sister-in-law was given a rose by like the maitre d' concierge guy. And uh, I've since learned that the Ritz-Carlton has a rule, capital R rule. It stipulates that any employee of the hotel may spend up to $2,000 to make the guest's stay or meal unforgettable. Now, that's a relational approach. It's not a transactional approach. They, they want your money, to be sure, but they want your heart. They want you to keep coming back. Now, I think about that. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me, God, Yahweh, creator of the universe. You invite me over for dinner and make me a feast. You anoint my head with oil, a custom in the ancient world, a way of saying, you're welcome, you're honored, I'm glad that you're here. And, and my cup, it overflows. You, you provide for me fullness, plenty. And, and it's, it's the good shepherd, our Lord, saying, have more. It's for you. It's a celebration. The joy overflows. God prepares this table, anoints my head with oil, my cup overflows. Now, we say, that's pretty cool, that Ritz-Carlton rule, $2,000. Well, God has spent so much more. 1 Peter 1, you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. Christianity is relational not transactional. He wants your heart, your loyalty. It's not what we do for God. It's what God has done for us in the person of Jesus Christ. And we find that true life, full and even eternal life is in him and him alone because of his grace to us. Now, we have to think about a sharp reality about this feast that God prepares for us. It takes place in the presence of my enemies. Who are these enemies? Well, you may have an arch enemy. You may have a horrible boss. You may have an in-law that you don't care for too much. The list could go on and on and on. Uh, my in-laws are great. But 
Uh, it could be that person who is, is just a jerk on the road. And, and I was told in New Jersey there's a rule that anything goes in the car. You can yell and flip the bird or whatever. I don't think that that's true. Like, it, it doesn't. Like, God's watching. We just talked about there's a seriousness. But it's really tempting when you get cut off or somebody fails to put on their blinker or they, they wait a nanosecond before going when the light turns green. It's really tempting to just let that anger come up, right? We say, okay. Maybe those are my enemies, but there can be enemies who are not people, the enemy of our soul, Satan, the demons. And what this passage is saying is this is a biblical version of scoreboard, vindication. God is saying, yeah, I won the war. And now I'm celebrating with you and all of your enemies, the enemy of your soul particularly, is watching this vindication, is seeing the scoreboard, seeing Christ crucified on the cross, seeing the risen Christ at the Father's right hand. That's it. That's the scoreboard. At the end, you will be vindicated. And, and in the moment, then, as we think about that, that, well, that keeps me from losing it, from flying off the handle from meeting hate with hate, anger with anger. <clears throat> Excuse me. At the end, you will be vindicated. These enemies are nothing to God. Why should I worry about them? Vengeance is his. God prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, this is what's interesting. I said a few weeks ago when we started looking at the Psalms, a lot of times if you have one foot in the Proverbs, do this, and then life is going to go this way, and one foot in Job, man, God is a mystery. You're straddling the Psalms. So we think about this. I complain, and I do. God, why do I have enemies? Why do I go through the valley of the shadow of death? Why is it so hard? Why do high school freshmen get picked on by bullies? And God says, sit down and eat. Interesting. Here's the idea. Even though the angel of death goes through the land of Egypt and there will be death all around because the blood of the lamb is over the door it won't touch us Psalm 91 even though a thousand may fall though 10,000 may fall at my side and you got to put on my trust it looks like Jesus on the night he was betrayed eating that same feast even though many were hunting him down had targets on his disciples backs what does Jesus do he says sit down and eat Christianity is never about what we do for God. Rather, Christianity is about what God has done for us and is doing for us and what he will do for us. So in the immediate context, presently, it hurts. I'm in the valley of the shadow of death. The circumstances stink. And yet, God says, come and eat. Come, be with me. I'm close to you. I'm right there with you. I was thinking of Acts 9, the road to Damascus. Jesus says to Saul, 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 why are you persecuting me? Well, who was Saul persecuting? He was persecuting the church. And Jesus is saying, that's me. And so we can say, I don't understand why I'm going through this, but I can't say it's because Jesus doesn't care or he doesn't know. He's right there actually with me. Now, verse 6 testifies then that this is not just a one-off meal. And we've already sung about this this morning in the presence of God, but it's eternal so goodness and love, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
And, and I want you to look at this. Goodness and mercy will follow me. Follow perhaps isn't quite strong enough. The Hebrew suggests actually pursuit. Pursuit. Contrary to our enemies pursuing us, we have goodness and mercy that pursues us all the days of our life. The great Charles Spurgeon stated it this way, These twin guardian angels will always be with me at my back and my back. Just as when great princes go abroad, they must not go unattended, so it is with the believer. Goodness and mercy follow him or her always, all the days of my life. The dark as well as the bright days. Days of fasting and feasting. Dreary days of winter, bright days of summer. Our needs are provided Goodness supplies. Mercy blots out our sins. God has your back. And this isn't a way of saying, like, whatever we do, yeah, God puts his stamp of approval on us. We can just do anything, and and God is the eternal cosmic yes man. No, that's not it. We're still on the paths of righteousness. But we also know we need mercy because, I don't know if you ever saw this. There was this meme a number of years ago. There was this sheep, a bleeding sheep. It was caught in, like, a ravine or something. Look this up. Google it in. Meme about trap caught sheep and it's bleeding and and the shepherd comes and after much effort gets the the sheep out of the pit and the sheep is so happy it kind of bounds and it takes maybe 10 steps and it goes right into another pit that's me that's us we continually need mercy the shepherd to come deliver us right because i can be a really foolish sheep <coughs> so we need our shepherd to deliver us again and again. I get into all kinds of dreadful messes that I don't have the power to get out of, but our good shepherd, he does. All right. As we walk with the Lord on this path, even through dark valleys, we have assurance that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And here the psalmist is referring to the Bethab, the house of the Lord, the house of the Father. It's a place of security. And we won't need to worry about wolves when we're in our Father's house. They're on the outside. We'll be provided oil, and our cup will overflow. But there's a deeper meaning here that's already ultimately fulfilled in Christ. By his death and resurrection, I can know that through faith in him, I can be with him forever. There will be a continual feast of the lamb. Good food and drink. I'll be sustained. And I won't need to worry about sin anymore in that day. I won't even be able to choose sin. I will be with him forever face to face. Now, I want to close just going back to old Shy. I don't, didn't want to leave her in the lurch. So she... Um, shared with her mom all that was going on at school, how she was being picked on. And so Shai's mom reached out to a young man at Shai's school, upperclassman, who had been a helper at a Special Olympics event that Shai had been a part of. And this young man, he, he happened to be um, quarterback of the football team. He enlisted his teammates, and, and he said to Shai's mom, and Shai, we'll take care of you. When you walk through the hallway at school, we're going to have some offensive linemen. They're going to run interference in front of you. And when you sit down for lunch in the cafeteria, we're going to have guys sitting with you. Nobody's going to bother you. Nobody's going to touch you. Now, 
I don't know if these guys were Christians, but Shai experienced love, protection, goodness, and that points to the extraordinary love of God in Jesus Christ. Better than a bunch of high school football players coming alongside you. You have the creator of the cosmos who's with you, who cares about you, the God of all creation, Jehovah, and you have the power of the Holy Spirit within you, and you have the host of heaven behind you, and the good shepherd, Jesus, ultimately leading you home. It's all a journey, and our shepherd is leading us all the way home. Let's pray. Lord, we know that um, just as your word says, in all these things, whatever the world would throw at us, we are more than conquerors through Jesus who loved us and who loves us still. And I am sure, Lord God, just as Paul writes, that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from your love, O God, in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your grace in him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.